0: you very much, Penelope and Celia. Uh, Please um, have this with you, unless you've got your Bible with you, which is an even better thing to do, uh, to bring bring to church, bring your own Bible. Um, But uh, if you don't have your Bible, uh, inside uh, this handout are the passages. Uh, It's well worth having that open in front of you. Hopefully, All's going to go well with this microphone. Apologies to Libby for the sonic boom mid-prayer uh, mid earlier. If it, if it does, I might pause briefly and grab another microphone. I am, uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, diving into Mark's gospel together. I hope you got a sense, even in those opening verses, reading them uh, together, just how wonderful, uh, uh, well, a story, a true story this is. Mark writes his gospel as a story. It is gripping. Uh, it's thrilling. And I hope you get a sense of that as we go along. And I do commend to you, as Josh said earlier, the reading guide that we're handing out each week. uh, That will help uh, build anticipation, I hope, for uh, diving into it each Sunday together. And if you did miss the first week, don't worry. What we had just read for us was the whole of the first week. So you've you've caught up. Uh, We're in uh, Mark 1, 1 to 15, and on the back of that uh, handout is an outline of uh, where we're heading it uh it's got a bit of false advertising it says 1 to 15 there but we're only going to get as far as verse 11 today uh, but we'll pick it up uh, from there next week i'm going to pray and ask for god's help as we open this part of his word together heavenly father we thank you uh, for your word as we've just heard from the scriptures it's a word that endures forever Uh, as we've heard from your scriptures also in in our time of prayer we wait on you and your greatest gift to us uh, your uh, sustaining of us comes from this word and so we pray for humble hearts now quiet hearts from whatever uh, has filled them this week that you would give us hearts ready to hear you uh, ready to heed your word ready to be changed by it in jesus name amen Well, Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 11, I say that's where we're going to start, but let me jump now to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 5, and uh, I'll read these uh, words to you that I think will be coming uh, up on the screen. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of a throne. And I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And they all fell down and worshipped. Uh, It's a spectacular vision, isn't it? A a vision of what is to come, uh, a vision of our future, a vision of the future for all creation uh, gathered around the throne of the Lord Jesus. That is what is ahead of you. And uh, uh, when we get to that day, it will fill your field of vision. Absolutely everything uh, will be filled with seeing him in all his glory. That's what's ahead of us. But I I wonder, as you think about what's ahead of you in 2022, uh, what's in your field of vision? This year, what, what what's uh, captivating your attention as you head into the year? Perhaps it's uh, the Omicron wave and its implications, or perhaps potential complications for you and your family, uh, perhaps for for parents and for children. It's the, uh, the the beginning of school and all that that will involve. Uh, Perhaps it's sporting teams and getting into the right team. Uh, if, that, if that's your thing, perhaps it's your job, starting a new job, hopefully hanging on to your job, uh, finding a job. That, perhaps that's what fills your field of vision. Or perhaps it's just your family or friends or relationships. That's, that's what's before you. Well, whatever it is that's in your field of vision as we uh, embark on Mark together, I know as a minister in this church that my job As we embark on the year ahead is to fill your field of vision and indeed my field of vision with the lord jesus Uh, virtually every anglican church in the world will have uh almost like a where's wally somewhere hidden in the building uh one little phrase and in our case it's uh uh, it's on the cushion uh, and the kneeling cushion there it says we would see jesus and it's been put there uh, as a tradition, really to remind the minister, you've got one job, buddy, one job, that is to show us Jesus. And so it's with great joy that we embark on Mark's gospel together. We need him to fill, fill our field of vision. Now, here's my problem as, as we embark on Mark together. We, we know we need Jesus to fill our field of vision, but I think we think we already are clear on him. We see Jesus, Uh, we've got that already. Uh, And I think that's true of us, whoever we are this morning, Whether, whether you'd call yourself a Christian or not, I suspect most of us think we have an understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, for the world, uh, a world that uh, many would say they're they're not believers of Jesus. Uh, Perhaps uh, for some, their picture of Jesus is, well, here's a quote from a a song by uh, an Australian band, Powderfinger. They had this searing song, because I know the lead singer grew grew up in a Christian home. Uh, Here's his take on Jesus now. Your can for life, your use by date has faded. Jesus is old news. Jesus is no use to us now. Now, perhaps many in our world think that of Jesus. Or if we don't think that, uh, an unbelieving world thinks of Jesus. Well, we make Jesus into our own image. Jesus is just like us, only perhaps just a little bit better and more perfect well that's perhaps uh, how some in our world perceive him uh, what about amongst christians what about amongst us as we embark on mark together i, I suspect for many christians jesus and seeing him uh, well it, it it evokes a sort of a dull familiarity i know who jesus is well again from that same uh, song uh, by the band powderfinger the next line is this your followers now just watch tv Uh, we can become more excited about the next Netflix series and happy to effuse about that with other people than we would about the Lord Jesus. Uh, He is all too familiar, all too dull. And if it's not that, uh, for us, uh, Jesus is, well, irrelevant. We don't see how he fits into the, well, the things that do fill our field of vision. But here's the reality, as we'll see in Mark's Gospel. The, The reality of Jesus Christ, as he really is, is awesome it is that picture in revelation he is untamed unrivaled and on so many different turns as we go through this gospel totally unexpected Uh, listen to this uh, quote from uh, the the french military leader napoleon who coming across uh, the lord jesus in one of the gospels he said this everything in christ astonishes me I search in vain in history to find similar to Jesus Christ or, or anything which can approach the gospel. Neither history nor humanity nor the ages nor nature offer me anything with which I am able to compare or explain it. Here, everything is extraordinary. Now, Mark's gospel is the place to see that extraordinary Jesus. Uh, perhaps for the first time if you've never seen him clearly, perhaps for the first time in a long time if he, if he appears dully familiar to you. And really what we're gonna do this year as a church in 2022 is uh, on Sundays we set up camp in Mark's gospel that we may see Jesus. Uh, a tiny little bit of background about the gospel that we embark on, we'll, we'll see more of this in the in the coming weeks, but Mark's gospel is widely regarded by the historians to be the very first of the gospels. Uh, this is the first to be written down, the account of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's written by, well, John Mark, Mark as, as he's called here. And, Uh, He he himself was an early disciple of the Lord Jesus and you can read about him elsewhere in the the New Testament. He he was a missionary companion of the Apostle Paul. He went on some of the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys and he was a close friend of the Apostle Peter. And it's the Apostle Peter's story that we're reading. The Apostle Peter, not himself a, a skilled writer, John Mark was. And so the Apostle Peter, you can almost... The picture I want you to have in your mind as you read this is the two of them in a room... And there's the Apostle Peter sort of relaying the story of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and Mark trying to keep up with the pen. Uh, That's what's before us in Mark's gospel. And it is an incredible story. Uh, uh, Mark's gospel sometimes gets a a dull rap compared to, say, John's gospel full of poetry and and pictures. Uh, Mark's gospel is succinct and fast-paced, but it's, it's brilliant. Uh, Listen to this quote by uh, another Australian musician, Nick Cave, in reading Mark's gospel. He said this, It's Mark's gospel that has truly held me. It's written with such breathless insistence and such compulsive narrative intensity that one is reminded of a child recounting some amazing tale, piling fact upon fact as if the whole world depended on it, which of course to Mark it did. And so our goal as we read this relentless narrative is to see Jesus afresh, to have God's word reveal him uh, rather than as we imagine him to be or perhaps our world imagines him to be. And so let's dive in. Hopefully you've got uh, either your Bible open or the passage open there in front of you. And the first thing we need to see is, well, why has Mark written this? Why, why Peter uh, telling him the story? Why, why uh, and what are they trying to write? And again, we don't don't have to guess. It's written for us. It's there at the start and the end of our uh, passage, verse 1 and verse 14. He's writing, we're told, the good news, and then verse 14 adds this, the good news of God, this is God's good news, about Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Here is the good news about Jesus Christ. It's going to tell us who he is. It's going to tell us what he has done, and it's going to tell us why that matters so very much. And while it's all about Jesus, the, the striking thing about the start of Mark's gospel is it actually starts with someone else, John the Baptist. And I reckon as we go through Mark's gospel, that as we reflect back on this start, that should surprise us because Mark is really succinct. He'll, tell, he'll, he'll describe huge life-changing events for people in like half a sentence. There's a real economy of words, and yet in this fast-paced story full of words like immediately and then and suddenly and things like that, he he pauses here at the start. This sort of freight train of a story about Jesus pauses for this seemingly sidetrack of, well, who's John the Baptist? Let's have a look and see why he does pause. Uh, Consider this about the first person on the scene in this story, John the Baptist. Firstly, his appearance. Have a look at verse 6. He's hard to miss. I reckon if he wandered in here uh, this morning, we would know John the Baptist is amongst us. He, he definitely has a, a unique uh, clothing style and diet. He is a wild man, a wilderness man, as we will see. And, and if you know your Bible, uh, that may trigger echoes for you as you see this man step onto the scene. Now, A couple of reasons. We'll see more about this first reason next week. The wilderness is very often where God mounts his rescue plans from. Uh, exhibit A, the, the, the exodus from Egypt through the wilderness. This is, this is where God does his salvation thing. That's where the story starts. Uh, but more than that, it, it should also trigger another Bible echo for us. As we see this man in verse 6 and the way he appears, he is the spitting image of the prophet Elijah. Uh, You know, the last of the Old Testament prophets, Malachi, as you read through the Old Testament, uh, Malachi, who prophesied some 400 years before these events that we're reading about, he prophesied that there would come a prophet like Elijah who would come just before God's promised king turned up on the scene. And so here we are after 400 years of silence for God's people. They haven't heard from God and his prophets for 400 years. All of a sudden, this wild man appears in the wilderness, and so that's his appearance secondly his place in the scriptures uh, we had read for us isaiah 40 and mark starts his story by quoting isaiah 40 in verses 2 and 3 and what we're being told here is john the baptist as he appears his appearance means god's promised comfort that we read about in that passage is about to arrive god's salvation for a, a people in exile a people estranged from him is coming at last Who's John the Baptist as we open this story? He's the guy who appears just before the play starts. He's the guy who sort of draws back the curtain as the king steps onto the stage. That's John the Baptist's job. And, and if you look in verses four and five, the, the, his moment on the stage is marked by spectacular ministry. The whole of the Judean countryside go out to the wilderness, the, all of them being baptized, it's, it's immense. He is he is uh, the greatest prophet even though the last he is the greatest in fact uh, Matthew 11 verse 11 Jesus says of John the Baptist he says this truly I tell you that among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist he's spectacular but as spectacular as he is as you read his testimony about the one who is about to appear on the scene the king we see from that testimony that he is nothing compared to the one who's about to arrive in fact He'll say in one of the other Gospels, I must decrease, he must increase. That's how this works. The focus is not on the messenger, but on his message. And so what is his message? Well, it helps us to be clear on who this coming king is and what he has come to do. And essentially what John the Baptist's message is doing is it's, it's, it's all about preparation, did you see that word? Quoting from Isaiah 40, it's, it's preparing a people who are unprepared to meet the king. And that's a surprise in a sense because they've had 400 years to get prepared. It's not like, the, it's, not like it's come suddenly uh, and yet they're unprepared in that their hopes of this promised king are, are all bent out of shape. And so here comes John the Baptist to straighten out those expectations for us to be really clear on who the king is and what he's come to do. And as we look at what he preaches here, we'll see him straighten out the unprepared and perhaps us amongst them. Here's the big thing really he's saying to God's people, Israel. He is saying to them, God's king who's about to arrive is not coming to bring political or social revolution. 400 years the Jewish people have waited, 400 years to sort of build up in their minds and their hearts, all sorts of messianic hopes of what the king would be like. Uh, For them, right at the heart of it, as we'll see as we go through this gospel, is the hope that the king was coming to free them from Roman oppression. That at last there'd be a return of God's people in God's place, Israel, that 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 day would return and they'd be freed from the shackles of the Roman Empire. Uh, That's that's their uh, mistaken expectation. But I think this is what many people do with the Lord Jesus. We want to fashion him into our agenda, our hopes, our expectations of what we think God should be doing in this world. I was reading just this week of a, of a current example of this, uh, the, the newly installed Bishop of York uh, uh, in a sort of a podcast this week, you can tell the sort of interesting podcasts I listen to. Uh, he said this, the gospel at its heart is about climate change. Now in one sense he's right in the sense that it's one of the big issues and it's a big issue for a God who is going to restore all of creation. (laughs) But to boil the gospel down and all that God is doing in the world to be about, well, the burning issue of our time is, well, it's, it's just like the Jews are doing here. For Israel it wasn't climate change, it was this agenda of political revolution. And so John the Baptist makes straight the mission of the coming king. He's not come to do that. He's come to, uh, he has a two-part agenda, you see, from the message of John the Baptist. The king is coming to bring about a removal, and he's coming to bring about a gift. They're the two things. Have a look with me in verses 4 and 8, and you'll see the two parts. Uh, Firstly, verse 4, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is striking because we see here the king's agenda is nothing like what they were expecting. He's not bringing national revolution. That's not going to be his focus. It's about personal salvation. It's about forgiveness of sin. He comes, the king comes to forgive you. Your sin, your own sin, your evil, not the the general Roman Empire, your sin. He comes to deal with that problem, which, as we'll see, for God is the big problem in the world. He comes to call each one as they went out to John the Baptist in the wilderness to confess their sin, for them to be baptised. In other words, to start again with God. Uh, And so here we have, uh, as John the Baptist preparing for the king's arrival, we have uh, set before us a really clear message about what the king has come to do. He's come to call on us to repent and believe that he can actually forgive us. He's come to save you from your sin, says John the Baptist. But then look at the other part of the king's agenda he doesn't want to just leave you free to go from god's judgment because you're forgiven he wants to bring you a, bring about this that you'd be free to stay in god's family look at the other baptism this is the baptism that this king will bring yeah? john the baptist says in verse 8 you know i baptize you with water but he that is jesus will baptize you with the holy spirit <laughs> Uh, We're going to see more about this as we go along, but essentially he's saying this, this king who's coming, he's come to give you life. That's his agenda, life with God. He's come to place the very life of God inside you so that uh, you may live as a child of God, not estranged from God. He doesn't want that for you. He wants you to know God as father. Romans uh, chapter 8 verse 15 says God's great gift to us is giving us his very spirit so that we can cry out in our heart Abba Father that we can know God as Father that's what this King has come to do what a glorious agenda the King brings with him thank God that he sets the plan not the Jews not the Bishop of York not you not me the mission of King Jesus and and consequently the mission of his church is not primarily about political or social revolution. It's not primarily about climate change or COVID freedoms or refugees or discrimination laws or social justice or whatever agenda is on our hearts. It is about Jesus, about the one who can forgive us and reconcile us and a sinful and a strange world back to their heavenly father. He's come to deal with that root problem of my own sin and your own sin, my estrangement from God, yours. And of course, here's the reality, as that mission of forgiveness and reconciliation spreads throughout our world, as it has since the King's arrival, it will bring radical political and social change in our world and and you read the history of our world and so often it's Christians who've been changed by this King who are at the forefront of those things. But our temptation will always be to focus our energies on the popular agendas of our time and think surely that's what God's about too, in the hope of, well, being relevant. Truth is, the King's mission of repentance and faith in our world is not popular. It wasn't popular then, it's not popular now. And if you read ahead, here's a spoiler for you. By verse 14, John the Baptist is in prison. And by chapter six, here's a real spoiler, he's beheaded. And it's not because of his political views. It's not because he was all too much against the Roman Empire. It's because he spoke truth to power. But the truth he spoke was to the king to repent of his sin. The king comes, that is Jesus, to bring great, the great and the lowly of this world to personal and spiritual revolution that we desperately need. And so the question before us as we begin on this journey together is how is the king actually going to deliver on that mission of, of forgiveness? How is he gonna do it given that the Old Testament just reveals cycle after cycle of this call to repentance and to start again with God, but it it never lasts? Well, these 16 chapters of Mark are gonna tell the wonderful story about how the King brings it about. And I wanna encourage you to let Mark tell the story rather than to guess it for yourself. Uh, Here's a little sidebar, but it's something I've been thinking about in uh, preparing uh, this series. Mark's gospel sets the agenda for us rather than us coming to this gospel with an agenda. You won't need to work out the implications of Jesus and who he is and what he has done for yourself, and I reckon that's pretty countercultural in 2022. Our culture's approach to understanding meaning and significance is to shape those things by two things. We either shape it by our own personal perspective, I decide what things mean and what they signify by my perspective and my experience, or here's the other one, those things are shaped by current cultural currents. My culture tells me what things mean. I reckon most of us think we're governed by the first of those, I decide, but but the uniformity of our culture's prevailing perspectives on so many things perhaps suggests that we are more shaped by that, the latter. It reminds me of uh, the Monty Python uh, movie, The Life of Brian, where they're all yelling out, we're all individuals. That's what our culture does. We think we're making it up ourselves. Well, here's the thing. We read Mark's gospel with our our culture's own prejudices, but it won't let us do it. We won't need to interpret who Jesus is and why he came and why it matters. The gospel will plainly interpret that meaning and significance for us. And if you want to see Jesus, which is our goal, remember, don't look for some internal monologue to tell you who he is or to the culture's voice around us listen to the voice of heaven we've heard the voice of john the baptist now listen to the voice of heaven we'll finish with this have a look at verses 9 to 11. no guessing who jesus is and what he's doing verse 9 at that time jesus came from nazareth in galilee and was baptized by john in the jordan Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, "You are my Son, with whom whom I love; with whom, with you, I am well pleased." Now zoom in with me on verse 11. Here is God telling you the meaning and purpose of the King and His mission. And he's doing it in a way remarkably that would have made complete sense to his people Israel as they heard it. He's speaking the Bible to them. He's like a, a faithful teacher of the Bible in the Old Testament. The tradition, uh, read in a commentary, said uh, the tradition was that the rabbi would thread three passages together to uh, to to. In his teaching, uh, he'd speak from the wisdom literature part of the Old Testament and the prophecy part of the Old Testament and the law part of the Old Testament to, to make clear what God's purposes were. And that's exactly what God the Father is doing as he speaks from heaven here. Listen, to me, uh, listen with me to the voice of heaven interpreting Jesus for us. Have a look. Firstly, in verse 11, and you can see this on the outline, he says this, "'You are my son.'" It's actually a quote from the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, it's a quote from Psalm 2. A Psalm that, if you read Psalm 2, it's one of my favorite Psalms. It's got this great line in it, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. That's his response to our world's sort of attempt to declare autonomy. And in the face of human rebellion, God promises in Psalm 2 to install his king forever, and he will rule the nations of the earth. That's the good news of Jesus. The the voice of heaven, God is giving us the reality of who Jesus is. He's God's king come. He's our king. And as you read Psalm 2 and you hear its echoes here in Mark 1, verse 11, it makes clear the personal implications for you and for me as the king arrives. Absolutely every knee has to bow before this king. It's a call to repent. It's a call to surrender. That's the good news. Or be shattered by the king, says Psalm 2. Uh, I was reading that this week and it reminded me of, and I'm going to get his name wrong, but uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, who near the end of the might of the Greek Empire, as the Roman Empire was sweeping the world and, and taking power, Antiochus Epiphanes was down in Egypt, sort of in all his pomp, or what he thought was his pomp left, trying to sort of rule down there. And then the Roman Empire turned up, their army turned up, and they essentially, right there in the sand of Egypt, drew a circle in the sand around Antiochus. And the general who did it simply said to him if you step out of the circle you have one of two choices you're either surrendering to rome or you are dying it's quite a dramatic moment and it marks the end of the greek empire and the start of the roman empire and i I want to put to you as jesus walks onto the scene in mark 1 verse 15 do you see it there and we'll look more at this next week he says this the time has come the king is here repent He's drawing a circle around our lives and he is calling on us to surrender. Now, I reckon this is something we might lose about the gospel if we interpret Jesus for ourselves or from our culture. But the heart of the good news of God about Jesus is that he is king and we have to surrender. But, and here's the second testimony from heaven, he's a king like no other. You see there again, verse 11, here's the second thing the voice of heaven says, with you, talking about Jesus, with you I am well pleased. And that's a reference uh, from the prophets. It's a reference from Isaiah 42, it's, it, where we're told that the king who will come will be a servant king." Listen to these words from Isaiah 42. "Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom I am well pleased." There's a the line: "I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles." The servant king has arrived. And, and if you read on in Isaiah's prophecy about this servant king, you, you, you see the extent of the service he's going to render to us. He will suffer greatly to service. I mean, you know these words, but listen to these words again from Isaiah, speaking of the servant. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us turning to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You wanna know who Jesus is and what he has actually done? Don't look inside your own experience to some felt need that he might assuage. Don't reimagine him in the style of some cultural agenda. Listen to heaven's voice. Heaven declares, you are my son. Jesus is the king. Surrender. But don't fear surrendering, says heaven, because heaven also says that Jesus is the servant in whom I am well pleased. I mean, there is a real sense in these 16 chapters of Mark's gospel that it's simply just going to flesh out, flesh out those two realities. Mark 1 to 8 is going to show us Jesus the king. Mark 9 to 16, Jesus the suffering servant. Uh, but I want to finish with this, one final scriptural testimony that God the Father references here in verse 11. And, and this is the one that, that will move me greatly this week. Uh, and I reckon if you're asleep and there's a chance with the level of humidity today that you are, wake up and even if you already know this i hope it thrills you afresh because it did me this week who is jesus well so far god in heaven says he's the king he's the suffering servant and then this he is my son my only son do you see it there in verse 11 my son whom i love it's an echo of a very famous passage in the pentateuch the law the other part of the old testament genesis 22 and Uh, I want to take you there briefly to, to see something with me. Consider, we're going to have the Lord's Supper in a minute together, and as you prepare to do that, consider how long, how very long God has had it in his heart to forgive your sins, no matter what it cost him. Genesis 22 gives us the answer, and earlier in Genesis, Genesis 6, God looks over the world that he has created, and there's so much sin that he grieves that he even made the world. And yet he sets his heart, we're told in Genesis 12, to reverse all of that, to promise one man, Abraham, that he would reverse the effects of our sin and and the reality of our death. And he would bless all nations through this one man and his descendants. The whole promise to this whole world rests on the descendants of this man. The problem is that he, Abraham, and his wife struggled to even have a child. And wonderfully, miraculously, in their old age, they do have a son, Isaac. Uh, their joy and their love and then this happens we're told in genesis 22 that god the father tells abraham i wanted you to take your son your beloved son your only son and i want you to walk him up that hill and i want you to sacrifice him before me and as they head up the hill isaac asks the obvious question "Uh, father i can see the fire and i i can i can see the wood but but where's the sacrifice Abraham's answer in Genesis 22, verse 8, the Lord will provide son." And then this, verse 10. Then he, that is Abraham, reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, replied Abraham. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son whom you love your only son it is a jolting moment but do you see it as isaac is spared hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years before the this announcement in verse 11 of mark 1 god already had a plan this scene with abraham would be fulfilled and this time the son would go all the way to death up that hill The pattern of a father sacrificing his son to bring blessing to the whole world uh, foreshadowed here in Genesis 22 was already on God's heart in Mark 1. And as his son steps onto the stage, uh, this testimony that he gives here, this is my son whom I love. It's a heartbroken declaration from a father of a father who knows there's no other way. But it's also the declaration of his son. Unlike Isaac, he's in on the plan. And no matter the cost, he will go through with it. Uh, He'll say repeatedly things like this in Mark's Gospel. Listen to this from chapter 8. Jesus began to teach them that he, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and after three days rise again. And so here we are at the beginning of the Gospel, a Gospel about Jesus. Mark will pile fact upon fact as if the whole world depended on it. And, of course, it does. Uh, Next week, we'll continue as we watch Jesus step onto the stage and he will simply say this there in verse 15, the time has come, the king has arrived, repent, believe. And as he says it, he is drawing a circle in the sand around your whole existence and he is saying, surrender. Surrender. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your glorious and good plan. We thank you for your Son, with whom you are well pleased, your beloved Son. We thank you for our King and Saviour, the Lord Jesus. Amen.